Uh, would you please turn with me to your uh, study outlines, and you can either get one as you came in. They're always available there as you come in. If you, um, you know, I, I think we have some ushers, if you raise your hand, anybody need one of these? You can also access us if you want to save some paper. You know what? Um, maybe uh, Chris or somebody could run. There you go. They're running right now. Ken Hall is on the way, and so when he comes back in, if you just raise your hand, you can get a hold of one of the paper ones, or um, if you'd like to access it and, and save some paper, behind me, you'll see how how you can do that either with your smartphone or with your mobile device, and you'll see how to do that with your smartphone. If you would like to save paper, uh, that's great, but if you're a paper person like myself, I have to admit, I love writing things down on paper. Um, I'm kind of uh, like, if the pilgrims did it, then I need to do it, and so if the prehistoric men needed to do it, then I need to do it that way. So if you'd like paper, uh, they're going to walk that around and get that to you. Now, we're starting a new series tonight that I I pray is going to be helpful to you. I'm really hoping that the Lord's going to use this. It's called Hard Times or How to Handle Hard Times. And boy, that relates to all of us, doesn't it? Because we're either coming out of hard times, we're either in hard times, or we're heading towards hard times. And tonight we're going to talk, answer the question, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen? And Mike, you're probably working on that. I think I have a little buzz. You guys hear a little bit of an echo back there? Maybe it's just me. If it's just me on the stage, that's great. Otherwise, we'll, get, we'll, we'll work on that and get that honed down. Uh, so hopefully you can hear okay. But if God is so good, then why do bad things happen? And the first part of this, the first half we're going to talk about is more philosophical. And this is really a big deal. We need to deal with this philosophically because, did, you know, we, we often think, well, is that really that big of a deal to people like other evidences for Christianity? Or like last week, we talked about evidences for the resurrection and, and dealt with that and scientific evidence and fulfilled prophecy and, and miracles and things like that. Isn't that the major deal? And I am always amazed at how this issue of suffering in the world is such a big hindrance to many of our friends following Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a seeker after the truth. And this has just been a real stumbling block for you. You know, you look around the world, and with all the bad stuff going on, how can there be a good God? You know, it's the old dilemma. How can God both be good and powerful? Because as you look at the suffering in the world, maybe he's good, but he doesn't have the ability to change anything. Or maybe he's powerful, but he's not good, and he doesn't want to change anything. And this is a real a stumbling block to people. And so maybe it's something you've struggled with. So the first half of what we're doing tonight is more philosophical in nature because it's so important for us to have an answer uh, for this. But then the second part of it is going to be more practical. How can we personally look at hard times? How can we have a paradigm shift as to how we look at, at difficult times, pain in our lives, hard times, suffering? How can we look in that, at that in a fresh way? And I hope that that will be a practical help to you in whatever it is that you're going through here this evening. And you know, I, I just as I look over you all, I know as your pastor, I, I probably only know a part of it. I only know the tip of the iceberg, but I know some of the things you're going through health-wise or in your families or in your finances or whatever, and it's hard, and it's hard, and so I hope that in some small way, something I say is going to be an encouragement to you tonight. That's what I've been praying for. Oh, Lord, help something from your word just to help people be a little more encouraged when they go out uh, than when they came in. So we're going to start with the question, why do evil and suffering exist? And this is something that, uh, like I said, is just a stumbling block to so many people. Uh, Ted Turner, remember Ted Turner, owner of the Atlanta Braves, Turner Broadcasting, one of the wealthiest men in the world. He's famous for his saying, Christianity is a religion for losers, okay? Christianity is a religion for losers. But did you know 
it turns out Turner grew up in a Christian home, and do you know that he once planned on being a missionary? But he later changed because he, quote, couldn't reconcile the concept of an all-powerful God with so much suffering in the world. And so Ted Turner, this was the thing that, that uh, and, and sometimes it's more willful, they don't want to follow the Lord, and so they pick this as a, as a convenient issue, but this was really something that he struggled with. Another one I was reading about is Tim Allen, the comedian. Uh, he wrote in Reader's Digest that he had a father who died when he was 11 years old. Allen says, my dad was dead, now what am I supposed to do with that? No one really had time to explain to an 11-year-old kid what you do with that information. So I woke up early wondering, who are you, God, and why did you do this? Uh, now, it even happens to godly people, uh, probably godly people amongst us. We're, we're, you know, I, I look out at a bunch of godly people, and maybe you struggle with this whole thing in the same way. Don't feel guilty about that. Moses, I mean, who's more of a godly man and leader than Moses? He struggled with this thing. Look at that verse there, Exodus 5, verse 22. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Okay, that's Moses, the guy, uh, the man in the Old Testament. He goes before the Lord, and in frustration, he just says, God, why have you brought all this trouble on? on your own people. Uh, what's up with that? Now, many times we shake our fist at God and say, God, why did you bring this trouble? And actually, much of the trouble, not all of it, but much of the trouble we bring on ourselves, okay? And I want to show you a clip now, and this is a heavy subject, but this is, this is to me, one of the funniest clips, and it's like one of my five favorite clips of all time. I, I, I just love this clip. I've had such a kick out of it. Because it's an example that sometimes we shake our fists and say, why don't you do something about this? There's nothing to do about it. And we have the power within ourselves uh, to take action on it. So it's called, It's Not About the Nail. Let's watch this. It's not about the nail. And sometimes we shake our fists at God and say, God, you brought all this on it. And, and sometimes we're, at least as a human race, we are participants in it. Now, this is a hard thing to understand why we go through uh, trouble. And it is a bit of a mystery. The Bible says, and that's why uh, Jared's song was so perfect, one day we're going to understand completely, but today in God's Word, we just have certain windows that will help us to understand. But it says in 1 Corinthians 13 that right now it's like we see through a dirty window. We just kind of see shadows to understand, but someday the window's going to be wiped clean and we will see clearly the things that are hard to understand right now. So, let's dig into some of those windows. What are some things that will help us to understand? First of all, there were no bad days in the Garden of Eden, okay? The garden that God created, there were no bad days. There was no evil, there was no pain, there was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was no evil, there was no pain. It was perfect in the Garden of Eden. Kind of a corny joke that a friend of mine told a while back. Uh, Adam was out walking with his boys one day. Adam was out walking with his sons one day, and they passed this beautiful garden, and it was surrounded by chain-link fence and barbed wire. One of his boys said, Dad, what's that? Adam said, that is where we used to live until your mother ate us out of house and home. So uh, there's an Adam and Eve joke for you. I'm sure you're going to want to write that down and share it with your friends at work tomorrow. Okay, now here's the problem. God gave Adam and Eve freedom 
to make an epic failure. God, the question is this, is God going to give us real freedom or not? And as soon as he gives us true freedom, okay, where we can actually choose, he gives us the freedom to make an epic failure, and that's what we, that's what we do. I mean, uh, we blame Adam and Eve, but I tell you, if it had been Glenn and Kimberly in the Garden of Eden, we would have done the same thing. Or at least Kimberly would have. But uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Poor Kimberly. Uh, she's, you don't tell her all these things I'm saying here today. I've got more of them coming in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat this, you will certainly die. So he said, you've got a choice. And you have the ability to choose evil And all the consequences that come with it, spiritual death, physical death, all that are as a result of our freedom of choice when we choose uh, the wrong thing. Now, um, let me ask you a question. Uh, How could you be sure, uh, how many of you are parents? How many of you have children? Okay. How how can you make sure that your child never disobeys you again? Uh, There's only a couple of ways. You can lock them in a closet, okay? You can handcuff them to a post. That's child abuse in both cases, okay? If you do either of those things. The only way you would ever be able to keep them from ever disobeying you again would be to take away their freedom. And God was in the same position as us as parents. He didn't want to lock us in a closet, didn't want to chain us to a post. He, He didn't want to take away our freedom. We have real ability to choose, and sometimes as, as an, an overall humanity, that choice brought on the trouble that we see. Uh, sometimes it does individually, but certainly we're all participants in it because of our overall choice. The moment God gave people freedom, there was room for evil, okay? So God did not create evil. God created the possibility of evil um, existing when he gave us Uh, freedom, when he gave us the ability to choose. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis, by the way, a great book on this subject called The Problem of Pain. He said, God made all things good, and for the sake of their goodness, that one of the good things he made, namely the free will of rational creatures, by its very nature included the possibility of evil, and that creatures availing themselves of this possibility have become evil. Okay, now that's philosopher talk, and you may need to read it a couple of times. But the bottom line is what we're saying is when he gave us freedom, he, uh, there was room for evil to enter into the world. Genesis 3, verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. We could make the choice to be aware of evil and invite it into our lives along with the consequences that come with it. Uh, my friend Dane Acker says, evil is not a problem with God's character. Evil is a problem with our character. Uh, Evil is not a problem with God's character. It's a problem with our character. Now, why would God give us freedom if he knew that we would make the wrong choice? Next page of your study outline. God wasn't looking for a bunch of mannequins in heaven. God wasn't looking for a bunch of mannequins in in heaven. Uh, He wanted people who, by their own free will and ability, chose uh, to follow him. Uh, This is something Kimberly would be very embarrassed if uh, she heard me say this. But, um, uh, but she's not here tonight, so I will say it nonetheless. But when I, when I started dating Kimberly, uh, she was uh, very much pursued 
uh, at college. She was like a hot ticket on the campus of Boston University. I met her. I was a pastor of a little rural country church, and she came to Christ her sophomore year, started attending our church that summer. So I met her uh, that summer, and you guys have heard the story many times, is that uh, she walks in the door my third Sunday. I'm there. Brand new pastor, 24 years old, just starting out um, a single, and, and uh, I just come out, and, 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 and I see her walk out the door. You're shaking hands, which pastors used to do at the door, and I was shaking hands as people came out the door, and then here she comes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got to get to know her. Now, it sounds, it, it sounds creepy, pastors hitting on people, but, but I was single, she was single, it was all like totally legit, okay. So, so she comes back the next Sunday with her fiancé, and they walk through the door, and they talk to me, they wanted me to perform the marriage, so I, I call them in for pre-marriage counseling, and I said, you know, your Taylor Johnson test is just really bad, you guys are not suited for each other. <laughs> I did not do that. that that's, that's a total lie, you know. That would, that would be malpractice, okay, if I did that. I, I told the joke a hundred times, and I told it to a group of psychologists at Azusa Pacific, and the look of horror on their faces, I mean, it was not funny to them. They saw nothing funny in it. So anyway, they, you know, I did not do that, and I just prayed, and, uh, and he, he died later on. That's not true either. That's not true either. I'm, I'm just kidding on that part too. But they broke up on their own. Okay, that is the true thing. They broke up on their own. And so the next summer, between her junior and senior year, we started dating and fell in love. But I tell you, the hardest thing in the world was her going back to college as a senior. And I'm sitting there in Homer, New York at this little country church. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what is the attendance or the enrollment at Boston University? is 33,000 people. That meant I was sending her back into the lair of what's half of 33,000, uh, 16,500 eligible young men uh, was I sending her back to her. And I'll tell you, I was crazy jealous. It was just, and so you know what? Come Christmas time, I got a ring on her finger to say, guys, leave this alone, okay? And so I got, we got engaged, but it was still very, very hard. Um, but when it was all said and done, and she got married to me, and she said yes to me, I just thought to myself, my goodness, she picked me out of 16,500. Guys, this, this, this is great. And, and let me ask you, contrary to that, would I just want a doll, a mannequin, that you pull the string in her back and she says, I love you? No, I wouldn't want that. I wanted the fact that she had free will in the manor. I, I didn't want to be married to a mannequin. I wanted to be married uh, to Kimberly. It reminds me a great movie I'd recommend to you. It's really a good movie. Have any of you ever seen the movie Lars and the Real Girl? Anybody? Okay, a couple. Okay. If, if, you're, if you're a Lutheran from the Midwest, you have got to see this movie. I'll tell you, we got a lot of Lutherans from the Midwest, and it is just a hilarious movie. But anyway, it's where he has some um, psychological things that he's working through because of trauma in his life. And so he starts to date this mannequin. There they are right there. And, um, and, and it's really a very charming movie. It's actually very, very cool. But he is married to a mannequin. But then through that, he learns to uh, fall in love with a real person. I know it seems creepy, but it's actually a really good movie. Okay. <laughs> but that's the choice that God had. In Revelation 19, verse 7, uh, the Bible says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's why Jared's song, right before it came up, 
was just so perfect. We are called the bride of Christ. He is our groom, and we are his bride. And a bride has a free choice in the matter. Whenever I do a wedding, I just did a wedding a week ago Saturday, and, and you know, I stood at the front, and, and I usually keep the father of the bride there for a long time, longer than most, uh, in most ceremonies. I keep him there forever. Because we come down and we do this thing called the statement of intent, where I ask the groom a set of questions. Do you intend to marry her, basically? And he says, I do. And then her a set of questions, and she says, I do. Then I ask everybody there, are you going to pray for this marriage? And they say, we do. And finally, who presents this woman to be married? But I make sure that that bride is doing this of her own free will. She is doing this on her own, her own choice, before she is presented for marriage. And the same thing is true for God. We are his bride. And, and he presents us. And we have a freedom. And we have choice in the matter. God wasn't looking for a bunch of mannequins in heaven. Here's the problem. As soon as he gave us free will, it gave us an opportunity for us to get into trouble. I mean, your, your children, you know that. How many of you know that your young children have original sin? Let me, let me just see your hands. Okay, uh, yes, I, I see you there, Christine, even a pastor's wife. I can't believe that. You're saying, Pastor Jared and your child, they have original sin? I thought they'd be pretty close to not having it. But anyway, anyway we know. They want to do their thing right off the bat. Our firstborn, Abigail, was the most strong-willed thing in the world. Oh, my goodness. I remember thinking, we are just, you know, I, I, I remember actually thinking this. I'm just not good at parenting. I, I remember thinking, uh, we, we, Kimberly and I, marriage came easy for us, but parenting did not come easy. And so I remember thinking, well, I guess you can't be good at both. I, I, you know, and we're pretty good at marriage, but I guess I'm just not a very good parent because she was so strong-willed. I'm, I'm telling you, it just really broke us. I remember thinking, how in the world can I preach on parenting in front of our congregation when they know Abigail? Okay, they know her. They're going to stand up and say, you are a hypocrite. What do you have to give to us? You know, she was so strong-willed. Now, it's hilarious because she's, you know, practically, I just had somebody come up to me this morning and say, your daughter is basically running Washington, D.C. right now. And I said, yeah, she basically is running Washington, uh, D.C. right now. But that strong will fortunately got channeled in the right direction. But we know that trouble comes when you give people free will. We are living somewhere between Eden and heaven. We are right now in what the Bible refers to as the present evil age, somewhere in between the Garden of Eden and heaven. There was no evil in Eden. There will be no evil in heaven, but now we are in a fallen world, okay? Galatians 1 verse 4, it says about Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. From the present evil age, the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And so God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to get involved in our world firsthand. Now, evil things are going to happen, and we're going to get hurt. But Jesus entered into that to give us victory over, us, over it and eventually open the doors of heaven for us to enter into. I love this uh, writing called God Leads a Pretty Sheltered Life. At the end of time, billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Some of the groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, but with belligerence. How can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? The brunette jerked back a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, and death. 
And another man, group, a black man, lowered his collar, showed an ugly rope burn, lynched for no crime but being black. We have suffocated in slave ships, been wrenched from loved ones, toiled until only death gave release. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering that he permitted in his world. How lucky God is to live in heaven, where all is sweetness and light, where there is no weeping, no fear, no hunger, no hatred. Indeed, what does God know about what man has been forced to endure in this world? After all, God leads a pretty sheltered life. So each group sent out a leader chosen because he had suffered the most. There was a Jew, a black, an untouchable from India, and one from a Siberian slave camp. In the center of the plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather simple. Before God would be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. But because he was God, they set certain safeguards to be sure he would not use his divine powers to help himself. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted so that none will know who is really his father. Let him champion a cause so just but so radical that it brings down upon him the hate, condemnation, and eliminating efforts of every major traditional and established religious authority. Let him try to describe what no man has ever seen, tasted, heard, or smelled. Let him try to communicate God to men. Let him be betrayed by his dearest friends. Let him be indicted on false charges, tried before a prejudiced jury, and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it is to be terribly alone and completely abandoned by every living thing. Let him be tortured and let him die. Let him die the most humiliating death with common thieves. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the great throng of people. When the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly all knew that God had already served his sentence. So Jesus came into this mess in order to rescue us from us, to carry us through our hard times, out the other side uh, to heaven uh, once again. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, if you have a pencil or a pen, underline that word, compassion. And the God of all, underline the word comfort. Who comforts us, underline that word, in all of our troubles. You see that? He enters into our hard times. He knows what hard times are like. He enters in. He has compassion. He comforts. He comforts. And he helps us in our troubles. Now, this word trouble in the Greek language is from the Greek word philipsis which means literal physical pressure. It's the same English word that they use. This is a horrible thing, but in old England, in ancient England, they used to, if you wouldn't confess to a crime, they would get you to confess by putting boards on your chest and gradually putting more weight on it again and again until you confessed. Talk about a lousy, coerced confession. What good would that be? But that's what they did. And sometimes they would literally crush a person's chest if they refused uh, to confess. And so that's the Greek word here, where it feels like, have you ever noticed in life how it's, it's, it's not when one thing gets you, when one weight happens on you, but it's when multiples come. Have you ever discovered that to be true? 
It's not the one thing that happens, but then the other thing that happens, and then the other thing that happens, and then the other thing. And sometimes it's a small thing that's kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back, but you can feel that feeling. The, the Greek word here is thalipsis, where you feel more and more pressure on you, and you just don't know if you can take it anymore. And it says he came as the father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our Philipsis, our pressures that bear down on us in life. Now, God promises to use pain for good in our lives. He doesn't promise to spare us from pain, but he does promise to use pain for our good. And this is one of our favorite verses in all the Bible. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good. Now, notice, he doesn't say all things are good. What you're going through right now uh, in, in that, that situation, that health situation, or that you know, situation with one of your children, or, or a financial difficulty, that, is not, that thing is not good. But it says he works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let's read that verse out loud, okay? Romans eight twenty eight out loud together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Um, last Sunday, if you get a chance to go online and catch this, we had a tremendous presentation here uh, at the Hub on uh, the resurrection and evidence for the historicity of the resurrection. If you get a chance to go online, it's up on our website, and see Dr. Habermas. Dr. Gary Habermas was with us, and that thing he did on the resurrection was just awesome. And, he, and we taped it uh, video-wise from the 11-11 service on Sunday morning, and you can see that. But another one I would encourage you to see, and, and it's interesting because it was kind of like the lowest priority. He came to talk about emotional doubt, talk about the resurrection. But the one he talked about at the 8.30 service last Sunday, so that would be February 22nd, 8.30 service, is he talked about suffering. And it is one of the most powerful presentations about suffering I have ever heard in my life. If you want to go deeper into this subject, access that on, on the website. And because he knows what he's talking about, his wife had gone through a terrible bout with stomach cancer and just terrible pain, and she eventually died, and he was widowed at a very young age. And, and through that experience and this great scholarly mind, he had some insights on suffering that just were remarkable to me. And one of his most powerful insights... Is, is a paradigm shift to see suffering as our friend and not as our enemy. And it's very biblical, because the Bible says in James, those of you that are going through many trials, and the Greek word there is polka dot, from which we get our word polka dotted. Like, you know how polka dots are dots of different sizes, and some are big and some are small? Well, the Bible says that we will go through polka dotted lives of trouble. How many of you feel like you've got polka dots going on right now? And, and, and so, and the Bible says rejoice when that happens because God can use that for good within our lives. And I tell you, just the way he shared, it changed my whole paradigm shift because the American dream is to get away from suffering as much as you can. And don't get me wrong, I don't think we have to go looking for suffering. But the problem is we grow the most on our Christian walk when we go through times of suffering. We become deep people of character through suffering, not through the good times. Uh, let, me give you, let me give you an example of the difference between good pain and bad pain. A couple weeks ago, I was out running in the park uh, around uh, our, uh, where, we, where we live there. My neighbors teased me that the reason I run in circles is so I don't get lost. 
because uh, I have a terrible, you know, I, I was running cross country. Uh, by the way, I, I've been pushing this all day. Friday night saw one of my favorite movies ever. It's called McFarland USA. And if you get a chance to see this movie, it is awesome. It's squeaky clean. It's PG. It's a true story. Happened right here in California. And it is, just, it is just a great story. And it's about the scintillating spectator sport of cross-country running. I'm telling you, way more interesting than, uh, than football or basketball or anything like that. Cross-country running. Uh, so, so at any rate, uh, when, I was, when I was in college, uh, I, um, I, my senior year, I was running, and uh, I got lost on my home course on my senior year. I have such a bad sense of direction. And I led the whole race into a swamp up to our waist in water, and they had to cancel the meet. It was all over the newspapers. It was, like, humiliating. The idiot that led the, everybody in the wrong direction. So at any rate, um, that's why I run in circles around our park, so that I don't get lost. So I was running, and, and I was running to the point of exhaustion. And it hurt, but it was a good pain. It was a good pain because, you know, you know this is good. It's getting me in better shape. You know, um, um, it's gonna, I'm going to feel good when it's done. It's going to make me feel, have more energy. This was a good pain. But in a split second, it all changed. My feet begin to drag when I get tired. <laughs> and I hit a sprinkler head there in the park. Bam! Went down hard. I mean, I don't remember the last time I went down this hard. Scraped up the whole side of my head. I thought I may have broken ribs on this side. They're still a bit sore a couple of weeks later. And the most embarrassing part is there were kids playing nearby, and they're like, old man, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I was more embarrassed than anything. I said, yeah, yeah. And then I limped home to Kimberly to have her hug me, you know. And so I, as I get home. And, and, and so from a moment, you see the difference in pain. The moment before that happening, I was feeling pain, but it was good pain because I knew it was doing me good. But the moment I hit the ground, it became bad pain. It was just pain. There was nothing productive in it. It just was like, oh, you're so stupid, Glenn. How did you do that? Why weren't you watching your feet, watching where you run? Just pain, random pain. Had no benefit to it, only a downside. And that's what the Bible says, that as Christ's followers, we can look at suffering in the first way rather than the last way. All suffering, including falling over a sprinkler head and and smashing myself up, including that, God can work through that to make us more and more like Jesus Christ and to fulfill his purpose and his plan in our lives. Johnny Erickson Tata, who knows a good bit about suffering, she uh, is paralyzed from what, the chest down, I think. She was an athletic young lady, 16 years old, dives into the water one day at the beach uh, where she lived. I think it was Maryland where she lived and hits her head on the, on the, on the, on the ground or on the, in the water uh, and uh, uh, comes up paralyzed from the chest down. Johnny Erickson Tata says, he, meaning God, screens the trials that come to each of us, allowing only those that accomplish his good plan because he takes no joy in human agony. Isn't that a beautiful quote? God is screening every trial that comes into your life, allowing only the ones through his screening process that accomplish his good plan because he takes no joy in human agony. Groans on earth remind us that our real home is in heaven. Um, My friend Dane says, there's a big difference between going on a camping trip and being homeless. You know, you think about it. Go on a camping trip, that's fun, at least 
you know, for some people, uh, how many of you are camping type people? Let me see your hands. How many of you are not? How many of you are holiday in, uh, you know, to, I feel, okay, you know, um, are there even holiday inns? I don't even know if there are anymore. Okay, at any rate, uh, um, you know, but if you like camping, it, it's awesome. And so there's a big difference between camping and being homeless. You are not homeless in this life. You are merely on a camping trip. Do you know the Bible actually refers to your body as a tent? And it says the tent is getting holes in it over time. The tent is wearing out. The tent, you know, isn't what what it used to be in certain parts of the tent. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Wasting away. Uh, Those that are older will identify with that phrase more than those that are younger. Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Now, if it was anybody but Paul, you'd want to punch him. If I said that, you'd have a right to want to punch me. Because many of you have suffered way more than I have. But if you look at the list of what Paul went through in his life, he suffered as much, if not more, than any person who ever lived. And he refers to his troubles as light and momentary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know what suffering helps us to do? It helps us to look more towards eternity. I don't know what it is. I wish I grew the most in my Christian walk, sipping a a Coke on a beach in Hawaii. I wish that was the case, but it's not. I tend to grow the most when I'm having struggles with the family life and the kids or, or some kind of physical problem or, 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 or some other thing that I have to pray about a lot. That's when I tend to grow. And it, and it gets me connected with heaven and that which is eternal. Second uh, Corinthians 5, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in, we live in an earthly tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan. <laughs> Isn't that great? How many of you, okay, this is like an older person question. Okay, how many of you, the older you get, the more you groan? You just get up into an upright position and you groan. You, um, I don't either, but at any rate, no, no, okay. we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose, there's that word again, Romans eight twenty eight for God's purpose. And here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a purpose, the purpose of God. Sounds like a good name for a church, doesn't it? Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. And again, if it was by anybody other than Mother Teresa, you'd be ticked off. But this Mother Teresa, she spent her life working with people that suffered more than anybody else, the untouchables of India. Um, One of those people groups that I talked about in God Leads a Sheltered Life. That's who Mother Teresa did her whole life with the the most suffering people in all the world. And here's what she said. In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth, 
will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. What's the worst night a hotel you've ever spent in? Boy, I think, Kimberly, one of our first arguments in marriage was over an inconvenient hotel. I learned right then, we had two family cultures, and I'm the type that whatever food is put in front of you, you just eat it and you never send it back. I remember the first time she sent back a meal in a restaurant. I was like, what? You can do that? Are you kidding me, you know? And so we were on a getaway, and we were in a bad hotel, and, and she said, go down and complain and get us to a different room. I'm like, you can't do that. They execute you if you try to do that kind of thing. No more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Now, don't get me wrong. There are no simple answers to this. There's a lot that's hard to understand when it comes to how God allows evil to touch some of his people. I mean, for example, why did God close the mouth of the lions for Daniel? Uh, But in the first century church, many Christians were torn apart by lions. Why did God allow John the Baptist to be beheaded, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace and not a hair on their head was touched? Why do I live in relative safety, but some pastor in Sudan preaching this same sermon could easily be killed before the sermon is over? Um, why does one person get their prayers heard and, and, and God hears their prayers and hears them, but another continues to suffer or even dies? I don't know. But I don't think it's a simplistic answer to say that heaven will answer every question. I truly believe that. Calvin Reed, who was a British church leader, tells about a young man who had fallen down some stairs when he was one year old and had shattered his back. The boy had been in and out of hospitals his whole life, but the boy had claimed that God is fair. Reed asked him one day, how old are you? He said, 17. How many years of those 17 years have you spent in hospitals? He said, 13 years out of the 17 years. Reed said, and you think that's fair? Well, the boy replied, God has all of eternity to make it up to me. And whatever you're going through, God has got all of eternity to make it up to you. And it is not a simplistic thing. You know, people say you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I have found that the more heavenly minded a person is, the more earthly good they are. The more our focus is on heaven, the more motivated we are to be of earthly good, the more heavenly minded we might be. Now I want to just close. This has been a heavy subject. And I want to close with something. I've been doing this all day long because I think it's so fun. And just we're going to close with this light moment and then we're going to run over to Hub Grub and it's pizza and salad tonight. So just keep holding. Think of pizza and salad as your heaven, okay? You get done with this sermon, you walk through the door and you have pizza and salad uh, waiting for you, okay? But this is, this is such a cool video clip I want to end with. Um, Robbie Wiltsey, our sound and media guy. And by the way, Mike, you are brilliant. You got that right out of there. Let's hear it for our technicians here tonight. And, and, and um, Robbie Wiltsey and, and Mike and Chris, they are just the three of them back there. They are just so awesome. Uh, and, and Robbie is like our assistant media director for the overall ministry of our church. Uh, and then he's the head of media uh, here uh, for, for the Claremont services. And uh, Robbie uh, just got married about a year ago, his precious wife, Bree, and, um, and she has always dreamed of going to England. Um, that, that is like heaven for her. Think of that analogy, okay? Uh, England for Bree, his wife, 
is like heaven for, for all of us. And so she had always dreamed of going to England, but they're a poor, recently married, struggling couple, and so they don't have any money to do that kind of thing. But unbeknownst to Bree, Robbie has been saving money on the side to surprise her with a trip to England. Okay. And when he told her about it, he had a camera on it, okay? And so we get to see her reaction. They put this on YouTube. It went viral. It has now been seen just on YouTube by 620,000 people. And that's just on YouTube. If you combine all the others, it might be pushing a million people uh, by now. Uh, this clip that you're going to see, it's just a, a minute and a half long. And let me just put this one thing as I keep forgetting to say this. What I think is so cute is that she is such, this is an example of how you're to receive a gift. Even if you get a lousy gift or a gift you're not impressed with, still act like you're grateful. How many of you have had trouble teaching that to your kids? That has been like one of the hardest lessons for our kids. Look grateful that grandma gave you a packet of underwear. You know, just, just act grateful. Don't say, what's this? You know, so that's been one of the hardest lessons to teach our kids. Anyway, she's so sweet because she goes, oh, look. Uh, a picture book. Uh, how nice is that? Uh, did you do this all on your own? It's just hilarious because she's so sweet to make him feel good. But there's more coming than that. And so uh, let's just close with this. And what the thought behind it is, think of one moment in heaven is going to be like Bree's reaction and all these things we've been talking about. We're going to see it clearly. Right now, we just see little glimpses uh, to try to understand. But someday, we're going to see it more clearly. So let's close with this. It's just uh, something in case we travel. In case we travel someday. Whoa, that's really cool. A travel photo album? Yeah, it's just uh, so like if we ever go to London. Oh, wow. So I just decided to fill it with stuff. That's so neat. Like, you actually like printed pictures? I know, can you believe it? (laughs) And like, that's like a place I found that would be cool in London, like if we ever traveled. Wow. That's so cool. It's like a little London apartment. Isn't that a cool place? Yeah. And there's like a ticket if we ever like went, you know. <laughs> what? What? What is this? <laughs> like, issue date? Okay, so what? This has our names on it. <laughs> For April through May? Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, are you really in England? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> I've always wanted to go. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And that on the previous page is oh. where we're staying. What? Oh my gosh. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing. We're going to go to London. <laughs> Robbie, you know, the husband union wants to bring you up on charges. You're making us all look bad. I see all the women going, you've never done that for me. You're in our sights. You keep, you rein it in, okay? A couple of things I didn't mention is that an executive for Virgin Air Atlantic saw this and called Robbie and upgraded their tickets to business class or first class. Is that cool or what? 
And then, and then to make Bree seem even more saint-like, she's back doing the children's ministry tonight. Is that what she's doing? Uh, yeah, so she's back serving in children's ministry uh, here today. Okay, let's stand together. Um, next week, we will continue this series with why do bad things happen to good people? And then the week after that's going to be even harder to understand, why do good things happen to bad people? How many of you find that one even harder? Why do bad things happen to good people? Then the week after that, two weeks from tonight, we'll do why do good things happen um, uh, to, to bad people. And remember Hub Grub, right through the door, pizza and salad, free meal uh, before you head out. Now just as we close, I want you to think about what's the hard time that you're going through right in your life right now. Um, just bring to mind what is that hard thing you are going through, okay? Just, just lift it up before the Lord. You may have to pick between two or three. Pick the hardest. And now, Lord, all these hard times we present before you. And as their pastor, I just want to pray this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. In this area of hardship, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's family said, amen. God bless you. Have a good evening.